Hi all, welcome back to Down to Brown. As you know, every week we try to answer the question of what would life look like if we freed ourselves from the assimilation pressures of American society and some of the stigmas, norms, standards, expectations that we grew up with in South Asian communities. And it is pretty damn fun answering this question with our group of badass brown women and our lovely allies from other sister and brother communities. One person lately in our Instagram commented along the lines of why we make everything about being brown and that brown doesn't just mean Indian or South Asian. So I wanted to address that here because there, first of all, the latter point is right. Um, Brown does not just apply to South Asians. And I also don't see it that way because I feel like in understanding my way of being brown, which is South Asian, I can help understand other identities of being brown so that I can better sympathize with them and perhaps even empathize with them. So in that way, I love sharing this identity of being brown because it belongs to so many of us. The former point about why does everything have to be a brown thing actually sounds like something one of my relatives said to me growing up to kind of gaslight the whole comment about why we might be different. And this is honestly why Down to Brown started. If you listen to the introduction episode, which is our first episode that I released in like the last couple of days of October in 2020, I talk about the fact that growing up, we had a lot of stories and experiences shown to us, whether it's media or what we saw around us in the towns and cities, but we saw them not looking like us, not feeling like us. So while we had examples, it didn't always feel like it connected all the complexities that come with being South Asian, for example. And, you know, our parents, our families, our relationships, our communities, our religions, our food, etc., all play a part in why we are the way that we are. And so I live in a world where I hope that we're represented with these types of stories so that we can make sense of life easier, quicker, much better feeling less alone, um, and so that we're better off generation by generation. So that's why I think it's important to make it a, quote, brown thing. And that's what we're going to continue to do today. Today, I talked to Sanjana Javeri, who is a 25-year-old Indian American woman who is based in Houston, Texas. She works at Facebook by day. Uh, In the evening, she also helps um, with the co-founded business with her family called Provosa. She also is on this mission to create fashion content that reflects the merging of our cultures as South Asians, Americans, and others. And so she has a ton she's doing, and yet she's also always wondering what's next and where am I going in all of this. So she and I actually decided to connect and talk about our careers and how we think about these questions as brown women with the types of family upbringings that we had, some of the cultural context that we have, and how that influences our ability to think about our careers. And we approach it from our different places in our careers right now. She is early in her career and I'm in the midst of it. Um, and we both have a lot to learn. And so we learn from each other with one of our main themes being how we honored our parents' dreams and hopes as 
children of immigrants, but also found our way to carve our own path where we got support, where we had to individuate a little bit, but ultimately finding that harmony. One quick note about the recording is that there is some disruption here and there with some of the connection. Um, and so please forgive us, but we try to make it as easy as possible for you to follow along. Without further ado, let's get to it. We've been talking for a while and I'm actually so grateful for like the, my friend actually showed your page and I saw that we were both coworkers at Facebook. And we also um, had a lot in common in terms of our interest in what we were solving for with our communities and talking to you. I got to learn so much about how you're doing it through your platform and you're just so helpful and insightful, which can be challenging when you just cold outreach someone. So thank (laughs) you so much. South Asian women, we're a minority in tech. So when you see another South Asian woman, you immediately connect on another level. Yeah. Um, and connecting with you was so easy and so effortless. So I'm so excited to be here today because talking to you is always such a treat. Oh, ditto, girl. Um, and so <laughs> that being said, I know we were talking about like, okay, what could be impactful for us to discuss? And career came up, which is something mm-hmm. that we haven't done at Down to Brown yet. And yeah. I thought it was really powerful to talk to you because I also I think it's really easy for us to look at directors or CEOs and be like, okay, how did they get there? Which is very important for us to think about like long term. But also I feel like it's equally important to learn from people who are earlier in their careers. Like the first five to ten years of your career are so definitive and so helpful in shaping kind of where you end up. And so I think it's so important to get that perspective, too, to have a very holistic and feeling like you're supported through those years, too, because those are really tough years. Yeah, no, for sure. And, and this is something that I mentioned to you before as well, that, you know, when you, when you asked me to be on this podcast, I was slightly concerned that I wouldn't be a good fit because I thought, what do I have to say about career? But then again, I, I realized a lot of other girls are also experiencing this as well. A lot of young people probably don't know what they're doing just like I don't know what I'm doing and maybe this would be helpful to talk about early career but I'm also excited to talk to you about your career and and learn from you as well because I think there's a lot of value there awesome yeah and as much as I can I'm the student here so (laughs) as much as I can share too but you know first let's start off like where are you in your career right now well I am about three years into my career I graduated in 2018 from the University of Texas at Austin and um, I graduated, I mean, like the first semester of my senior year, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was sitting in a classroom years going into investment banking, going into consulting, and I thought that was the, the path to take. Um, and then I was speaking to a, a friend of mine and she said, what, have, you, have you thought about working in tech? You know, you've worked at these startups before, you're interested in the tech world, have you thought about working at a company like Facebook? I was like, no way. Would I be, would I get into Facebook? What, you know, it seems like the like quintessential great company to work at. And um, she was like, why don't you talk to a friend of mine and see if this might be a good fit for you? So I called her, a complete stranger who works at Facebook, and we ended up hitting it off. Um, and something that I mentioned to her on the call was, hey, I'm, I'm really concerned that if I work at a company like Facebook, which has thousands of employees, that I would just be the small fish in a big ocean, the impact of the work that I'm making. And that's really important for me. It's really important for me, not only as a woman, but as a South Asian woman to 
make decisions for myself, to be autonomous and to have a seat at the decision-making table. I ended up um, asking her for a referral, which is really helpful in the tech world. Um, ended up applying to the company, had my interviews and it, it went really well. And now I've spent three years in my current role. I know that kind of simplifies it. <laughs> like, oh, I've got the interview <laughs> yeah. and I've got the job and now it's three years in. But um, I, I'm really happy because now I work with small businesses. I help them build their marketing strategies on Facebook and Instagram. And it's it's really um, it's really gratifying. Absolutely. One of my favorite um, public figures out there to learn from is Meg Jay, who is a psychologist. Um, she also has a TED Talk and a book. But she talks about especially when people come to their careers in their 20s and 30s, they forget that the people who actually introduce them to the next opportunity are often the people who are the friends of the friends, the neighbor of the sister, like people that you don't directly know. And that's why it's like really very important to continue to put yourself out there. So that was a big takeaway for me from what you just shared. Your ability to reach out to people, even if you didn't personally know them or even have an indirect like connection, like the hinge mm-hmm. app or something where you're like, oh, you know, a <laughs> friend. you're like, no, I just heard like went out of a, on a limb. And um, often I found that people do want to talk, like everyone likes to talk about themselves. And it's so true. Yeah. And it's not a vanity thing, but I think it's also like, you know, I went through this experience and if it could help someone else, most people at least. And so I think that's really admirable about you. And I think that's what sets people apart and gives them edge is when they can identify that like, yeah, it's kind of awkward reaching out, but it's all part of the process. For sure. And I think I can relate to that so much because I would I'm, I would say I'm pretty shy. And especially when I was in high school and college, it would take a lot out of me to reach out to someone new and start a conversation yeah. with someone I hadn't talked to before. But like you said, people want to help. People want to talk about themselves. And it's, it's just a very like natural human trait that people want to be there for someone else. So I 100% agree with you. I wish I'd done more of it before, but now I, that's something I'm going to, yeah, going to hold on to forever. Especially the more you do it, the more practiced you become. So to your point about like, if you're, even if you're a shyer yeah. or, you know, people associate networking with just extroverted people and maybe those like annoying networking cocktail hours are a little easier for extroverts, but I feel like <laughs> you don't have to be a specific yeah. type of person and the more you do it, it's encouraging and you build that muscle and it's less intimidating. Um, so totally. And I, you know, I'm curious, like, so I have two questions. Um, what I'm like trying to choose now. So the tech piece, um, (laughs) I grew up in the Bay area and tech was sort of like the, everyone does it. It's so glamorous, especially like being a millennial in the nineties, like watching my uncles and aunties and my dad, like work in tech. It was like the peak of like things were building up and Bill Gates wasn't a perv yet. And, you know, um, so then, um, you know, it was a very different time and we aspired to tech, but sometimes I wondered why? Like, is it because I wanted it or because I felt like my parents and the way it was painted in our community as like sort of a milestone of success? So how did you genuinely feel about tech and why did you decide it made sense for you? So this is interesting because my family comes from a small business background. So my entire family, our last name is Javeri, which means jeweler in English. Um, And essentially everyone in my family 
every single person, my grandfather, my kaka, which is my uncle, my dad, my brother, my cousins, every single member, even on my mom's side, like my grandfather on that side, my uncle, everyone's in the jewelry business. And so they're all entrepreneurs. They're all small business owners. And actually no one, no one's done a nine to five job. And I think I was one of the first and my cousin's sister when we graduated um, saying that we were going to pursue nine to five jobs, which was actually not like it, it was accepted. But I think there was a lot of questions about, wait, why aren't you joining the family business? Why why would you want to join a nine to five or um, be a part of the tech world? And I think it was like there was some fire within me, I think, that said I wanted to do something different and I didn't want to pursue this tradition. And I think that's what attracted me to tech initially, especially living in Austin, Texas, where it's this, um, this the Silicon Hills, uh, right, of the, of the country where you're immediately exposed to the startup life and the startup culture and the tech world early on in college. And so that caught my initial that upon graduating, I, I love that idea of being in tech and being a part of this world that's constantly changing. There's constantly, there's challenges. And I knew I didn't want to join the family business, at least this early on. What about you? Why did, why did you join tech? So I wish I had as cool of an answer as you where I like sought it out and it was my dream, but it honestly was not. Um, I joined really because of my parents and that is the true answer. So um, they always saw it as something that's sort of this beacon for immigrants where you join um, an industry that is rather stable, especially because back in their day, it was less startup-y and more um, kind of established Microsoft, Cisco, those types of companies. And they saw it as something that if you weren't becoming a doctor or engineer, you could find some stability there. And that's all our parents want for us. And so it's really not like a complaint because how can you criticize someone who just wants the best for you and really set you up well um, in a way that you could be uh, self-independent and autonomous. But at the same time, you know, if you are arguing like, was it your life's passion? Like, absolutely not. Um, I think I've learned a lot in the industry, but tech is kind of where I ended up and then found roles and stuff that gave me meaning in it. But I think also tech was very different from what it was before. You know, now we, as we all know, live in a day and age where we're challenging some of the implications that the technology that has facilitated certain online societies, networks and everything, whether they're useful. And I just don't know if our parents had as much, maybe even time to think about that if it did exist then, because they had email and, you know, they were seeing these things come out. But for them, it's more like I'm trying to hustle, put some money into our banks and build a foundation for our family to succeed in this country. And similar to how, you know, sometimes people say like, oh, our generation just has too much time to think about our mental health, which is I'm not endorsing that. That is a very false statement to make. But I think it just means that we might have more of the luckily because they have raised us in a way that we've benefited from their sacrifices. We do have more time to challenge some of the things that we see and um, we have more resources, capacity, education. So I think I am um, a little conflicted sometimes because the same thing that my parents see is like you've you've really made us proud and succeeding and stabilizing. 
I question sometimes what's my unique impact in the world if I'm a part of these missions that could have bad implications too, not only on the people that use it, but also the people who live in the cities that some of these offices open up. You know, for example, San Francisco is very much not the San Francisco I grew up with. Oh, for sure. I mean, especially in Austin, um, I, I, I early on was exposed to the startup culture and there's things like startup fairs and things like that, where it, there's also this kind of hustle culture that's being built in, in tech to not have this like work-life balance and constantly be talking about tech and living tech and breathing tech. And it can be a lot. It can definitely be overwhelming. And it's, especially in Austin, it's becoming more and more like that as more and more tech companies move to Austin. Like Apple has their headquarters, or not headquarters, has an office there. Tesla has an office there. Um, Facebook, of course, Google, and all these big tech companies and big hubs are being built in Austin. Mm-hmm. So it's it's very natural for that to happen. Absolutely. I think you start to see the ecosystem of where tech might start to propagate while it's really beneficial Mm -hmm. to like the responsibility it plays in the community. And so the whole piece Mm -hmm. of like even San Francisco being becoming very gentrified ever since tech coming into the scene. I think what I learned overall, especially like the employer, you know, we were like I worked at and you're at Facebook, like you start to see like tech also is equally there's a lens that you realize there's a responsibility that it also has yes. to make sure that it's also still maintaining its relationships with its communities and not creating harm in that way too. So I think that's yeah. also the fascinating thing about tech though, is cause you're like, oh my gosh, it's not enough to be like nerdy about literally the product, but also like all these mm-hmm. implications that it has because it's typically new and unnavigated. Yeah. Yeah, it has societal implications, political implications, economic implications. Right. Um, you just see and you just see so many business models are also based on even like HR models are based off of how tech companies are leading, leading the space. Um, and I especially feel it because I'm on the advertising side at mm-hmm. Facebook where I can see the implications of social media advertising. Yeah. And it has both advantages and, of course, a lot of disadvantages as well. You know, you definitely taking into account people's targeting and data and there's a lot to yeah. it. Um that's a conversation for another day and it's also very fascinating because you start to see like every possible consequence which i think again it reinforces the notion of like it is you learn a lot like you really learn a lot about like to your point like the good the bad um the the powerful the impactful and also the detriment so i think that is given in any industry but especially like given that it's like so a lot of the tech that we work on is so new it's sometimes really um voyeuristic and like pioneering. So given that your family had a different, you know, background, especially growing up, what did you ever sense like how what was your relationship with your own personal career plans with your parents? I think I was very fortunate in that my parents wholeheartedly supported my career decisions. I recognize that not many people have that sort of experience, but I remember early on, I, I was I was training to be a Bharatanatyam dancer, and my dad told me, you know, you love it so much, why don't you pursue dance professionally? And I was like, oh wow, okay. And then one time, I told him I wanted to be a chef, and he said, okay, let's do it. Let's look into the Culinary Institute of America. Supported that. 
Um, and then when I said I wanted to join Facebook, full, like wholeheartedly supported that decision, which was, I'm extremely grateful for. And I, I remember even this past January, I, I, I was recognized for my performance at work. We had, you know, promotions and things like that. And I was sitting in the car next to my mom and all of a sudden she started crying in the car next to me. And I said, what, you know, what happened? And she said, I get to live out my dreams in you. You know, I see myself in you. And that was really huge for me. And I got really emotional then. Um, and I still get pretty emotional about it. But I think that's the thing that keeps me motivated is to keep working hard so I can make them proud. That is so incredible. And I'm in two ways. Like one, I think it's so refreshing to hear about um, parents who are supportive of pretty, especially South Asian parents, supportive of even non-tech doctor type roles. And I feel like the fact that we tend to change our minds over time, we might have different passions evolve. And I love that your dad every time was like, I'm right there to support you. I'm right there to support you. So that we really do feel that unconditional, like whatever I choose. Right. Um, and similarly with your mom, like that's something that I often talk about with other South Asian women too, is like many of us, are getting to go from like we get to enjoy this privilege of having time to ourselves in our lives between our father's household quote quote and our like future partner's household and that's something that my mom didn't get to do i don't know if your mom got to and so when they see what we can do and we feel like we're making them proud and like using that time wisely i feel like it can be so so rewarding um and so I, I really, really, re, that resonates very strongly with me. Um, and I think a lot of Indian women or sorry, South Asian women would find that to be resonating with them. Was, was that different for you and your parents? You know, when you were thinking about pursuing your career, did they support your endeavors or was there ever some conflict? Yeah, there was actually lots of conflict. <laughs> so I think I, I really envy you because it was sort of the opposite for me in the sense um, I think my dad being the firstborn, very like responsible, I have to do what I can for my family and didn't really get to pursue his own passion. And I think he wanted the same for me in the sense, you know, I want you to be independent and successful. And that was really refreshing, you know, of course, in a culture where sometimes that independence can be challenging for women to achieve. However, I think he had certain notions of like, this is what success is and anything that's outside of that is too risky. So I have a lot of compassion now for my parents for both being, you know, maybe a little bit more like, let's do the traditional path because I think they were just trying to get me to a place where I felt, you know, secure and stable. But it also was a little frustrating, especially in your 20s when you're like, I certainly, you know, went through that angst in my like early teens and 20s where you like blame your parents for everything. And you're like, um, and so I was like, damn it, if they only were more supportive, because we had a lot of fights, even when I was picking my major for UC Davis, um, you know, I wanted to work like do an English one. English major and my dad was like you're gonna work at McDonald's like you can't do that and I was like what no like that's not true um and so I had to kind of sneak in different classes during my undergrad to kind of get exposed to things that were outside of um and I graduated early so I graduated in three years um I hated being a student when my parents like moved to India um when I was 17 and so I kind of just wanted to get it done with 
And at that point, the economy wasn't really good. Uh, 2011 for Bachelor of Arts major. So I immediately started to think about grad school. And um, my parents mainly were pushing me to do HR because they were like, well, it's a good way to combine your major psychology and still get a foot in the door in corporate. And since you don't like, you know, like engineering and all that, maybe this could be a good avenue. Um, And they were definitely right about it, but I kind of did it because I was like, well, like, I really don't want to, but I'll do it since I said. Then I got in and then I was like, well, who gets into grad school at 20? Like, you know, I should probably do it. And um, I had my like first drink when I got to grad school at 21 and um, I did HR for like a few years after. Um, And it wasn't my passion, but I learned a lot. And I think that's something that like now looking back, I'm like, no matter what you do, if you're doing a role that is in some way productive at a company you can learn from, it's all going to help you like figure it out by the end of it because you become more independently thinking and you figure out things that you want for yourself that might be different from your parents. Um, but you won't waste time if you're like doing it at a place where you can at least collect some stories and experiences and skills. Um, so it was a little bit of a conflict and I think it was like a few years ago that I finally like I think 2017 I was like well I found a role that or career that it's more suited for me and I ended up applying and by then my parents couldn't have an opinion with me because I was like 26 27 and so that's when I transitioned into communications Um, so while HR wasn't my passion I think like there was a point in my time like my like career where my dad and I were talking about marriage actually and he was like Mm. well you know you should get married now you're 24 25 um and I lost it and I've talked about this before on my podcast (laughs) where I like we had like one of our biggest fights about like you know me not getting an arranged marriage that early but I also said like you know you did take control of my life with my grad school and my career choice and this is something I can't allow with my marriage And it really hurt him because he was like, I was just trying to do the best for you. Um, And I thought that's what I was supposed to do as your parent. Um, And, you know, I had to say the ugliness of it before I could understand, like, his side, too. But, you know, for me, I realized, like, I can't hold him as an enemy for this anymore because I'm a grown ass woman now and I can make those decisions. So that actually helped me understand better. Like, you know, clearly HR is not working. I don't want to hate my dad for like something he was doing out of like genuine, you know, love for me. No, and I'm so proud of you because it's so hard to get there. And the fact that you did. And also, it's so hard to have that lens in the moment when you're having that conversation with your father. But now, years later, you're able to look back at it and feel like you went through like a therapy session, you know, like see it from a completely different perspective and and accept him for for what he's done. Yeah, it was like a 10 year study, but it worked. (laughs) (laughs) But for you, like especially thinking about as you went from your parents' background to tech, what are some of the lessons that you found yourself knowing immediately, but then also not Mm -hmm. knowing because you weren't exposed to it before? So coming from a traditional South Asian family, I, I remember like the, the day before my first day of work, like first day of starting my job, my dad gave me some key pieces of advice. He said, you should always be there before your manager comes to work. You should always leave after your manager leaves from work. Um, never challenge him, don't speak back. Um, what else did he say? 
I think those were like some of the, the key pieces of advice. And I remember I went into work and I went with that mentality that I'll always be there early, leave late, do the like the, the traditional things that you've learned as a as an as an Asian um, individual living in the U.S. And I also went in with this mentality that I am introverted and I am shy and therefore I will not succeed in this job. I, I remember in my first meeting with my manager, I told him, I was like, hey, look, I'm really shy. I will succeed in this job. And I remember he looked at me and he said, we're going to fix that. He's like, I'm not going to try to change you as a person, but I'm going to challenge you to speak up, to, to get involved in team meetings, to take leadership roles. And I'm, I'm really, if I had it, I would have continued just working at Facebook with this sort of mentality that I am a South Asian small woman, imposter syndrome is real, but due to, by, by having these mentors who supported me by speaking to people about what I thought were my weaknesses, I was able to start challenging those things. So I would say the things that I've learned now are to, to speak up, to have you know bold opinions about things that matter to you. Um, something that I had mentioned before was, you know, have a seat at the decision-making table. So try to be involved in places where your opinion is valued and you can actually impact decision-making. Yeah, I think those are like some of the three big things I would say. Oh my gosh. No, those are so powerful. And I think it is interesting that we feel like obligated to be like, manager, these are my shortcomings. And um, I, I, I sometimes wonder too, like how much is that also like kind of our culture of, I'm so sorry. Right. I'm not gonna be. And they're like, no, you know, so like it's kind of good to yeah. get that kick in the butt of like, we're going to work on this because you it is hilarious to me now looking back that I mean, I felt I feel <laughs> the same way sometimes where I'm like, but I'm like this. I'm never going to be like that. Yeah. But they need every type of personality. You need introverts just as extroverts. That's like saying introverts can't be salespeople. Yes. And you're like, yeah. And in fact, sometimes I really appreciate talking to people who are very um you know i found like for example my sister she's in sales she's an introvert she's really intentional Mm -hmm. about the words she uses she's very um Mm -hmm. she doesn't just kind of talk for the sake of talking and i've overheard her Mm -hmm. in calls and i'm like wow she's really powerful whereas i might be like chitter chatter chitter chatter you know what i mean (laughs) so i feel like there's every type of obviously like you need every type of person um but you do the imposter syndrome is real and i feel like you especially like joined a place that typically does create imposter syndrome for people so how did you navigate imposter syndrome when you were first (laughs) and even now right i'm sure it's something like we struggle with our whole lives Oh my God, I still struggle with it. And I'm sure I'm going to continue struggling with it, but I I do think it's improved over time because it's so natural, right? Whenever you join a company or school or anything for the first time, you're surrounded by really smart people. Mm -hmm. I I know for me, I, I constantly play this game of comparing myself to other people or I see people on social media, influencers, role models. And I think like, why am I not there? Why am I not smart enough or good enough? Um, I think for me, I, I had to go through this year of, um, honestly, like journaling, mm-hmm. uh, therapy, I will be honest with you. I think that's been very powerful for me. Absolutely. Um, manifestations, like saying it out loud that these are the things that I'm capable mm-hmm. of and these are the things that I'm going to, that I can do and that I can accomplish. 
is extremely powerful. I wish I'd done more of that. And then even just like affirmations telling myself, which is so silly because now that I think about it, I, I used to always read these like books and self-help books and like social media posts of people who say affirmations to themselves. And I used to think they're such dinguses. <laughs> but I'm so... I, Tell us I started really doing it and I realized... <laughs> I started doing it I realized <laughs> I started doing it I realized just like oh they're, they're, there's actually something to it they they know what they're doing it and I'm I'm actually a dingus for not having done this right yeah here. I mean those are incredible coping mechanisms and ways to reflect and learn and um, thank you for sharing that you also go to therapy I think that's something that if we could normalize more and more because it's so helpful to be able to do that reflection sometimes if that's the way that works for you therapy can be such a wonderful way to be like wow like you know this might be a pattern that i'm doing that is showing up at work or um and so it's all connected and um that sounds amazing it it is especially interesting to me that we typically because we haven't done something sometimes it's very intimidating but the more to your point you manifest the more you affirm yourself etc you can at least build your self-esteem to go through that new experience and like one of the things that i remember like very um especially um at, at facebook was like i used to feel like you know in my role when i first joined i was supporting the chief marketing officer and I was like, what the fuck do I know? So I was so intimidated. <laughs> and, you know, my um, director actually gave me advice. Like, they're looking to you as the expert. You're, they might know marketing. They might know all that. But you know communications. And so to yeah. me, that became very like, and, and I also realized that's where it's really important to feel a fit. Because I no longer felt like an imposter in comms. I felt like an imposter mm. in HR. And so in comms, I was like, no, I've been prepared for this my whole life. Like a lifetime yes. of analyzing text messages and everything. Like I'm like, I'm good at this. So um, yes. I felt like such a shift when I started to practice. It takes a lot of time. But when you're like, literally, I could be talking to the CEO of a company. They're probably really good at leadership, like thought leadership, um, the product that they, you know, maybe founded. But I'm good at communications and I'm the one who's going to help. Them, oh, yeah, right? you so are. like similarly. Right. Like I, I realize like that's something that if we told ourselves more, I wonder if yes. that could help, too, with some of that imposter. Do I belong here? What can I do or offer? So um, I 100 percent agree. I, I, I totally resonate with that. I it reminds me of like this past year, I, st I made my Instagram page public and I thought, okay, I'm going to have a public presence. Um, and I attend and go public and share with other thousands of girls, like the fashion content I like, but I, I thought I would do that. And then I waited months to post anything because I was so scared of what other people thought about me. I was so, so I kept telling myself that I'm not good enough, that I don't have a good fashion sense or I'm not pretty enough as these other girls or I'm not as um, energetic and enthusiastic and extroverted on Instagram as some of these other girls. But the more I did that, I realized I was just digging myself into a hole. It wasn't something I liked. I didn't like that feeling of comparing myself every day to these other girls. And it's, yeah, so I, I mean, I 100% agree with you. I think it's this matter of just like telling yourself that no, you are good. You are so capable and you can do it. Absolutely. I think that's so, so important to remember because it's funny on the other side, I would see that and be like, wow, she's so confident. Like, I wish I could be like her, you know, posting pictures of myself like that, mm. et cetera. 
But you don't realize, like, on the other end, there is there there can be a myriad exactly. of self-conversation happening. I'm actually brought, exactly. glad you brought that up because earlier you mentioned that you were shy. And um, <laughs> I thought that was really intrusive, again, because I was like, I've looked at your account and I'm like, you look so, like, <laughs> shy. And again, I shouldn't assume, but how did that end up happening? Like, if I had to play, like you know, on the other side, be like, how can you be shy if you have a public Instagram account where you post pictures of yourself (laughs) and beautiful outfits? Help me understand, like, why that would be the wrong thing to say. Mm, I think I see Instagram as this place where you can have a creative outlet Mm -hmm. and anyone can have a creative outlet. It's not just shy girls or extroverted girls or loud girls um, or anyone and for me I realized especially during the pandemic which is when I really started going public and sharing content I needed this creative outlet on the platform I needed to take some time away from work away from my laptop and to just have fun playing around in my closet trying on pieces of clothing experiment and putting myself out there it it, it is hard especially I'm not able to just easily start a conversation with someone. It takes me a while to create strong friendships because I need to build those relationships over Mm -hmm. time. On Instagram, it's this place where you can be yourself. And if someone doesn't like it, if someone doesn't accept it, they don't need to follow you. Yeah, that's totally true. You know, that's what I just realized. So if someone doesn't like it, then that's okay. That's that's their opinion and that's, that's what they like. But the people who do follow me, thankfully there's a couple that I post um let's be friends like let's how can we how can we be friends in a social media and a digital world yeah oh gosh I think that's such an important lesson and it's something that sometimes like for some reason it immediately reminded me of how growing up especially as we think about like in our South Asian context sometimes it is hard for us to reconcile conflict and like you know people not getting along or people not approving of what you're doing And in a Mm -hmm. weird way, I feel like sometimes like social media can contribute to helping with that feeling of I don't need everyone to like me. Like I'm not here for everyone. Right. And like the people who I am for will find me. And Mm -hmm. it sounds like bizarre, but like having a public Instagram page, like really being passionate about the kind of maybe niche content that you're posting can help also facilitate that insight. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, Because I sometimes wonder, too, like, how does being South Asian help or also, like, affect us in the way we approach our work Um, and, like, our confidence, um, especially at work Mm -hmm. or, like, publicly, like, with your brand? Mm -hmm. And so do you ever feel like you have certain nuances that you're like, damn, like, I think it's because I am, you know, from the upbringing that I was, like, uniquely culturally, I'm seeing this show up in my job. Can you give me an example of what you're thinking? And then I can I can also go off of yeah. that. So, for example, I feel like auntie and uncle culture has helped me prepare for social etiquette at work. Um, so mm. that kind of um, ability to make small talk, be really respectful, um, the way that I would probably treat an auntie or uncle, that's how I tend to approach like execs and stuff. But the one thing mm. that I did break away from was to talk back as well because you're not supposed to talk back with your aunties and uncles which is problematic if you like truly disagree and they're saying something fucked up but um yeah with 
career, it taught me to be confident in terms of because it's okay to disagree and not always go with the group thinking because you can actually end up like helping change the course of a decision or I mean, that's your point of view that you were hired to do. Um, that was yeah. also interesting, but I did find that like that kind of like corporate culture etiquette became easier because of the way that we were raised in terms of talking to different people at different levels of authority. I would agree. Um, I think also this idea that, you know, you should always build meaningful relationships with the people uh, that you work with. I think, for example, like anytime there was any major holiday, I would I would bring Diwali Mitai to the office. I would make sure all of my friends are fed. I make sure to call them over. I Like my coworkers are not only my coworkers, they're my friends, they're my best friends. So you build really meaningful relationships and that's something that my parents have taught me. Um, I also, I lead our our API group within Facebook Austin. So oh, wow. all of the APIs across APIs all three Facebook. Who don't know? Yes, so API stands for Asian and Pacific Islanders. Um, and it's, we have these resource groups within Facebook where you can be a part of any DNI initiatives, diversity and inclusion initiatives. Um, and so that's something that I lead and it's something that has really allowed me to bring my most authentic self to work. I feel like that's such a buzzword, but it's, it's so true, right? That you're able to come to work and fully embrace that you're an Indian South Asian woman and everyone accepts that as well um, because of my involvement in that organization, but also because of the fact that I, you know, bring Indian foods to work, make my manager try it, make my teammates try it. I will show them my like, my Instagram account and the saris that I'm wearing. I will, you know, celebrate the holidays at work, things like that, little, little things that allow me to just be, feel really proud to be Indian. And it's, it's so, it's so important in a workplace as well, because you want to be able to come there and, and feel accepted. That is something that growing up, I didn't really see from my parents is like, there is a sense of wanting to soften your ethnicity and not call attention to it. Um, and I think that was, that's something that like, I'm so happy to hear that you're proud to bring your full self to work and share your culture because it does shape the way that we work and even show up and who we are. Um, so I love all of that. And it sounds like they're a big motivator for you is community. It is. It's such a big motivator for me. And it's something that I look for. And even like future career opportunities and the passion projects that I'm doing, the, the reason that I post on Instagram, it's to build that community. There's so much power in community. Absolutely. And I'm glad you touched on future because I was actually going to ask you next, how do you plan for your career in the future? Like when you sit down and you're like, oh, where am I going with all this? How do you approach it? I'll be honest with you, I've had many moments this past year where I think I hit my quarter life crisis, you know, <laughs> yeah. where you're just like, where, where am I going? What am I doing next? What's going on? Especially during a pandemic when everything kind of comes to a standstill and you're just, you're like, uh, where is my career going? Um, I don't think I have an answer just yet. I, I don't think I know exactly where it's going next, but what I've started doing and I think what's really helpful for people is to start finding mentors start finding role models and people that you can reach out to both in a professional sense and in a personal sense and figure out, you know, how can you start building some of the experiences to be where they are or to, to learn from them. Um, for me, I've started taking notes of these are the things that I want to start learning in these ne in the next one year, three years, five years. 
And then how do I get to a place where I can have those experiences? Yeah, definitely. I adore that because that is really important. I I completely agree about the experiences piece because I think that's what I sort of struggled with early on is understanding that just getting exposure, it's like almost a gift to even get like a Mm -hmm. small, even like a small project that takes one day or getting like something for a whole week. Um, If you can say that, okay, I did get to get exposed to this skill and I, I can speak to it because I got some again, exposure to it, that can sometimes be enough for people to say, you seem interested, um, we can coach you, but since you've done something, we'll take you on board for this role or this new opportunity or whatever that is. And so I actually feel like the more I, when I look back, some of the best advice I got was to think about your career in terms of like a lattice and not a ladder. And that's a class we would teach in my um, learning and development facilitation days of, we assume typically that it's about like, becoming an associate, then an associate manager, and then a manager, senior manager. But actually, unless you're like, you know, I know that I'm, I want to live and die this one role, like product manager, let's say. Um, if you're like, I'm trying to figure out and I'm still like flexing my, you know, curve, what the things that I like and don't like, then just getting that experience is enough to be able to get the next gig. Um, and so yeah. I think it's so important what you said. Yeah, and I'll, I guess I'll just share this transparently. Right now I'm at this place three years in where I'm starting to look at other roles, other opportunities. And I've talked to a couple of hiring managers and I'm, Lahari, I'm getting rejected left and right. Like it's like over and over again. I think I've like talked to three to four. And each one always says like, oh, you're great, but we just need more years of work experience. We just need to see, you're only two and a half years in, almost three years in. We need to see six to seven or 10 years, or we'd prefer to have an MBA. I'm like, ah, you know, these are things that I want to get to eventually. And I think initially I was feeling really down by it uh, and disappointed because I felt like some of these things were out of my control. But more recently, I'm thinking, you know what, this is a great time for me to just keep building on what I have, keep talking to people, keep learning new things. I'm only 25. I have to keep reminding myself, I'm only 25. I don't need to have all the answers right now. My dream job, it will get there. I have years left in my professional career um, and I just have to be patient. That is such a good way to think about it. It's not always easy to approach it that way. Um, I yeah, wish I was as um, wise as you <laughs> when I was 25 <laughs> because I'd definitely freak out and be like, if it doesn't work out now, it'll never. Um, and my therapist kept reminding me the same thing you said. And you're right. Like, there is going to be a lot of rejection. Um, and, you know, we used to joke like earlier, my grad school friends and I about like, you know, they'll have like the most basic entry level job description. They'll be like five to 10 years of experience. And you're like, how the hell am I yeah. supposed to get that experience if like I can't? Ugh. So it's it is pretty competitive. But I think I found that, like, to your point, if you get the experiences that you need, then eventually there is going to be a role out there that at least gets you even a step closer to that. Maybe it's not your ideal thing, but it's the thing that'll be the stepping zone stone to your next thing. All right. So as we think about the future, what do you want to be when you grow up, Sanjana? Can I actually pass that over to you while I take a minute to think about my answer? (laughs) Um, Yes, you may. Um, 
I honestly would love to do work like this, like the podcast and talk to different communities about their identities from like a psychology lens. And um, I just find this space fascinating. And, you know, it means that I probably would want to exit corporate at some point. Um, But I will say, you know, before I used to feel like maybe it's the millennial in me, but like, oh, I'm another cog in the machine and et cetera. But corporate has taught me a lot about how to be a communicator, how to build relationships with people, how to use people's time wisely, you know, like structure things, strategy. They're all such important lessons that I realize like you don't even realize when you're going through it. But when you look back, you're like, holy shit, like I'm so much smarter than I was a year ago. And that has actually helped me get closer to what I want personally. And so I hope that one day I can do this type of work full time. But You know, until then, like, I think these experiences, like I'll be starting a new job in July. And I think those are all bringing me closer. Hopefully I'm not jaded, but like you're just being naive. But um, I think they all get you there. Yeah, I I love that. And I could totally see you thriving in this this podcast world and you're already crushing it. Um, I think for me. I don't know if it's like a, a defined position or a defined role, but I think I want to be in a position where I am empowering other women. I, I always say I want to be more like my mother and that she is very headstrong, uh, a community driver. She is if you come to Sugarland, Texas, where we live, you ask any Indian person, do you know Shafali Javeri? And they'll say yes, and that's my mom. And it's, she's just this person that is constantly doing community work, philanthropic work, and is just, just there to help other people. That's the kind of person that I wanna be when I grow up. Um, and I I'd also see myself somewhere in the fashion world, I think at some point in my life. I think that's something I've realized is it energizes me more than anything else. And I want to do more of that type of work in the future. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I so appreciate that because even if it's not like I want to be, I think people typically think like, Oh, it has to be like the VP of this function, like a specific role. But I think it's actually better (laughs) to guide yourself by an overall aspirational identity. Like, you know, I hope to be a community leader and like someone who can, people can think of and be like, wow, I, you know, I benefit from that person's, knowledge or presence and want to work with them and um I think that's so much more important in guiding those decisions so you allow yourself flexibility in your career and you don't get caged into things because one of the things I noticed is like by having an idea for that you'll also know what to say yes to and more importantly what to say no to Mm -hmm. because I'm finding yeah like sometimes I used to do things just for being like oh my god I need to just like work on this because it might look good and I'm like I don't even care Mm -hmm. about this like I don't need to do this extra project that doesn't align with, you know, like nobody asked, right? Like, it's not like my boss is telling me and like um, that doesn't line up with where I'm trying to go. Um, and I think that's something that also I wish I knew earlier about, like, you know, the types of rules or like the types of opportunities I involved myself with. Like, if you have a better if you take the time to at least have a picture of like the type of person you want to be. You'll make better decisions from the get-go about where you place yourself and your time and resources. Yes, we're, we're already so hard on ourselves. If we set these defined 
goals of these like huge dreams, which is great, dream big. Uh But if you, you know, limit yourself to that and if it doesn't work out, we're just going to be so disappointed in ourselves. And what's the point of that? Definitely. And as children of immigrants, it's so easy. But the less you compare yourself, the more freeing it is. We're all on our own path. That being said, you know, I'm curious too. like as a millennial, what should I learn Mm -hmm. from someone like you who is early career? Gen Z like what can I what do you think you look at for like millennials and go like gosh like y'all could benefit from this piece of knowledge I I so I I I know I'm Gen Z but I think I like fall on the earlier half of the spectrum I think I'm like at the very very early stages Gen Z and I see other Gen Zers on TikTok and Instagram and I think like wow I wish I could be like you sometimes Mm -hmm. Um, because they they just live so boldly I'm, I think we have very strong opinions about issues that matter, um, and I think I think it just I've realized over the last year it's really beneficial to talk about these key issues, educate others, and Gen Z really does it best. Absolutely, I agree. I think that's actually very humbling for us to see that. <laughs> um, yeah. I think it took us some time to get that confidence. But um, mm-hmm. that being said, I have one last section before I let you go. Um, it's okay. the Chip Chip Round, which is a fun rapid fire round. So whatever comes fun. to you immediately, if you could answer, we'll find yeah. out who you really are, <laughs> Sanjana. <laughs> ready? Yes, ready. You win an unlimited supply for the rest of your life for a food item of your choice. What is it? Um, sourdough bread with butter um, uh, oh my gosh <laughs> uh, with amul butter specifically oh my god that sounds amazing um what is it with amul butter it's just so creamy uh, it's crack yes cocaine. it is <laughs> coolest connection you made with your instagram platform once you went public uh with lahari rav down oh, to brown <laughs> <answer, boo. laughs> <laughs> what is the best movie you've watched this year uh, this year um most recently i watched uh raya and the last dragon on disney Ooh. and i thought it was incredible great great animated movie if you're into oh my that gosh, yeah <laughs> a must follow account or business um uh, jay shetty mm-hmm. is really great uh i'm also gonna plug my family business provosa we are jewelry <laughs> and then down to brown (laughs) girl you're like singing to me (laughs) life-changing confidence boost resource like a book or a person that really helped you boost your confidence um i think there's quite a few books i really like um the alchemist Mm, yes uh have you watched have you read um tuesdays with maury i did it's so good such a good book. And I feel like every time I read that, I'm like, I want to live my life that way. Absolutely. Those are great. The Alchemist, actually, I remember being shocked when I was watching Om Shanti Om. And I was like, they just copied that line from The Alchemist. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> really? That whole, like, if you want something so badly, the universe will, like, conspire to make it happen. Um, yeah. Yeah, he yeah. says that a lot in the movie. And we're like, damn, bro, just ripped off Coelho. <laughs> Plagiarism. Yeah. <laughs> And lastly, this is a question I love to ask guests if we have time. How do you, mm-hmm. Sanjana, free yourself to live your most authentic free life, given the like whole hoopla of being multiple identities? 
you're, it's not easy. Yeah. <laughs> it's easier than easier said than done. And I'll say it's been a journey for me. Um, I'll say you just, I think it's something we've touched on before, right? That you stop worrying what others think about you. You ask for help. You, you embrace your weird, quirky self, your unique self, all your, 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 your tendencies and the way you talk and the way you act and you just embrace it fully. And that's how you live your most authentic self. I love that. It's so, so true. It's a lesson that we learn, relearn over and over again, no matter what age. So those are words of wisdom that I think we can keep in mind <laughs> forever. <laughs> but Sanjana, thank you so much for being a part of this. And I know you and I were like, let's get creative and shift the structure that we initially thought of and challenged it. So thanks for your patience. And it was just such a great time talking to you and learning from you about your career. Thank you, Lahari. I I am so happy to be here. I'm so happy that I got to connect with you. And I think this podcast is just going to grow significantly. And I, it's such a fun podcast. I was listening to a couple of episodes the other day. And I think you do such a good job of it. And I'm, I'm really excited for what's to come. 